You might remember, if you were here last week, that I made some wise crack about the husbands who don't live so long when their wives need to lose a little around the middle and the wives live a lot longer than the husbands who make a comment about it. You know, this week, I'm not in the mood to, uh, to start out with a joke the, the way I was last week. And the reason is because I've had to reflect so much this week on what it means to be Christian, especially in light of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. And I read the book of Hebrews this week. And I read these texts that were talking about the sacrifice of Christ. And last week we talked about how the blood of bulls and goats is absolutely inadequate for cleansing the conscience of a Christian. And there's good reasons for that. The shedding of the blood of animals was inferior. And in fact, was nothing in comparison to the shed blood of the Son of God. That's from Hebrews chapter 9, and that's where we're going to be today if you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 9. And I might tell you, by the way, that a lot of times I, you know, when I put text up on the screen, I, I, I don't put full text up. I want people to be in their own Bibles, and so I'll say, turn to so-and-so in the Bible, and I kind of expect all the pages to turn. I want you to be looking in your own Bibles. But this morning, I'm so interested in making sure that everybody has a clue about what's going on here that we're going to look at the texts uh, on the screen as well. And it's one thing I wanted to tell you too was that as we turn to look at, at the sacrifice of Jesus this morning, one of the things that I thought about this week was, was just how exclusivistic we need to be with this notion of who Jesus is. You know, Muhammad, Muhammad did not die on the cross for me. Buddha did not shed his blood like Jesus did. There is no Hindu God who shed his blood for my sins the way that Jesus Christ did. There is no political figure. Um, not King George, not George Bush, not George Washington. None of them shed their blood so that I could live. Only Jesus the Messiah did that. And the writer of Hebrews is making the case to the Jews who are reading this letter that they need to not go back to Judaism. Don't go back to Judaism because in Judaism, Moses didn't shed his blood. It'd be foolish to give up something in the Christian faith in order to go back to something that doesn't have within it the efficacy, the power of the blood that is there in the sacrifice of Christ. Now this week we're not looking specifically at the shedding of blood. This week we're going to look at the sacrifice. So the issue is not the shedding of the blood of Christ specifically, but the quality and character and impact of the sacrifice of the Son of God taken as a whole.
This week I was overcome by the power of the text that we're going to be looking at today. In fact, there was one day this week when I was in my office. It was on Tuesday. And I had been reflecting some on Hebrews chapter 9 and 10. I'd been writing some life group lessons, but it was also having to do with the sermons. And I was reflecting on all these texts. And I found myself in my office sobbing. I was just crying. And Nancy, Nancy came in. I mean, she, she can hear the preacher crying in his office. What's happened? So she came in and she said, Kelly, are you okay? And I said, you know, Nancy, I'm fine. I have just been thinking about what it means to be Christian. I've just been thinking about the sacrifice of Jesus. I've been reading through Hebrews 9 and 10 and reading this language about this one who gives himself on my behalf. And I was just moved so deeply that I just sat in my office crying. After a little while, I got up and I went down the hall. I, I, I was so moved by O sacred head. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd sung this song, of course, for years. And I remember, like many of you will remember, uh, years and years ago, Amy Grant, back in the, you know, in the early 80s, Amy Grant did a version, uh, an a cappella version of O Sacred Head on one of her albums. And I, I just remember how much that moved me and how, and just how important it was to me. And I walked down the hall and I was trying to say to Dustin, you know, Dustin, oh, sacred head, we're going to sing it in the second service this week. You, could think, you should think about singing it in the first service as well. And he'd heard it, but he didn't really know it. And I said, you know, I said, you need to, uh, you know, get on your computer and get on iTunes or whatever and listen to the Amy Grant acapella version of, of oh, sacred head. It, you know, it's, it's going to move you. And as I was talking to him, I, I started thinking about the words. And pretty soon I was, I was crying again, standing in Dustin's office, weeping. You know, and, and I'm sure that you know, Dustin's looking at me and thinking, what's going on? You know, but it was, it was simply a matter of me being so moved by what Bernard of Clairvaux was writing about who Jesus is and what he did. The sacrifice of Christ was just on my heart. And the word of God, the spirit of God was just impacting me so much that I couldn't help but be moved to tears. And I don't apologize for those tears. And I don't apologize for being moved by this hymn. Reflection on our lives. If we sin at all, and especially if we are like Paul, the chiefest of sinners, like I am, should cause us great grief. It should cause us to be sorrowful and grateful all at once. If you give yourself a moment to reflect on your life, and if you've sinned as I have, you can't help but be sorrowful to the point of tears, or at least to the point of deep emotion. Because he who has been forgiven much loves much. And it touches our hearts. I have been forgiven much. Jesus is so good. A friend of mine, when I was uh, early in ministry, 
Ralph Beck was such a dear friend. He and I used to sing in the hallways all the time at the church where we were working. I, I think I've told you before, we'd sing in the bathroom because there were such great acoustics in there. And so the two of us would go in the washroom. He had an incredible voice, an operatic kind of voice. Uh, he came out of the theater program at Pepperdine. He was a very talented singer. And so he and I, you know, and I wasn't, but we would go into the, into the uh, washroom and we would sing together. And it was just uh, such a blessing to be able to, to do all of that. Ralph one day was telling Robin and I the story about how he and Linda had a little boy, Aaron, who was four. And they were doing their family devotional at home. And Ralph was reading the story to his son of the crucifixion. And he was reading about how Jesus had been scourged and how he'd been beaten and had a crown of thorns. And then he'd been put on a cross and he'd been crucified and his hands and his feet had been pierced. And, and he bled you know, for us. And Aaron, who was four, with tears in his eyes, at four years old, looked at his daddy and said, Daddy, did they do that to my Jesus? And of course the answer is yes. And it wasn't just they who did it to our Jesus. But we did this to our Jesus. And there's a sense in which Jesus allows it to be done to himself. Why did the prostitute wipe the feet of Jesus with her tears? Isn't it because her life was so adequately met by the person and sacrifice of Jesus, the Lamb of God? And when we recognize who we are and who He is and what He has done, how can we not weep? Again, both for what has happened to Christ and then in gratitude for what it is that he has done for us. And so we read this text from Hebrews chapter 9. And these numbers at the top, they're all messed up. I don't know what I did there, but you can see 9, 36 through 28, we'd have to go backwards. Okay, we're not reading this in Hebrew, so I don't know what I did. The text starts out this way, though, before you get to this point. It says, It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. And then we pick up here. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face the judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. He said, here I am. I have come to do your will. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all.
You know, the temptation of the Jews who were reading this letter was they, they were tempted to go back to Judaism. It's hard for me to imagine that they could think to themselves, let's go back to the sacrificing of bulls and goats rather than to the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus. Christ had offered them an eternal relationship with God through the sacrifice of his own body and his own blood. And they were in essence saying, no thank you. We think we're going to go back. And the writer of Hebrews is saying to them, are you nuts? Do you not see what it is that Jesus has done? Jesus says to them, I did this for you. And they say, no thanks. And Jesus says, but I love you. And I died for you. And they say, eh. And so we dishonor Christ when we don't accept Jesus as our Savior after he gave his life for us. And I implore you today, if you aren't a Christian, if you've never given yourself to Jesus Christ as Lord, Oh, I pray you do. He gave himself for you that you could live. Your sins can be washed away and you can be brand spanking new. Jesus did that for you. And today is a wonderful day for you to accept him as Lord. Give yourself completely to him. But I will warn you that if you don't, if in this life you choose not to give yourself to Christ, you will in fact dishonor his sacrifice. And I wouldn't take that lightly. So we dishonor Christ when we don't accept Jesus as Savior. We dishonor Christ when we remain legalistic. Acting like keeping rules will save us. It will not. It's the blood of Jesus that saves humankind and nothing else. We dishonor Christ when we become it. Immune to his story over time. Because we've heard it so many times before. And so I get up here and I say things every Sunday morning. Or somebody else gets up here and says things every Sunday morning. Or you will turn and read a passage of the Bible that you've read a hundred thousand times before, it seems like. And pretty soon we're just numb. Just immune to the message. And in the course of that, we dishonor Christ. Because the message of Jesus is the most significant, most costly, most important message there is. We dishonor Christ when we hold grudges. And when we don't forgive others the way that Christ wants to forgive us in light of the sacrifice that he made for us. He forgives us and we are to forgive as he forgives us. And if we don't, we dishonor the sacrifice of Christ. We dishonor Christ when we wallow in our guilt. And I'm enough of a sinner myself to know that there are some of you today who wallow in your guilt. There's probably somebody who on their way here this morning said to him or herself, I'll go, but I'm unworthy. You were right. You are unworthy in and of yourself. But he died so that you could live. He gave himself so that you could be forgiven. 
And we dishonor Him when we wallow and remain in our guilt, acting like our sin is bigger than His sacrifice. Our sin is not bigger than the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And because it's not, we should be acting as those who have been forgiven by the blood of the Lamb, because that's what we have had done. We dishonor Christ when we accept the sacrifice of Christ and then turn away or become lazy. Only occasionally having our hearts open and changed by the power of the cross. And he does not want us to be lazy, uncommitted, occasional, on the fringe kinds of Christians. He didn't die so that you would be on the fringe. He died so that you would be in this with all of your heart. And we dishonor Christ when we don't serve Him with all our hearts after He gave all His life for us. This text we're reading goes on and says this. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And brothers and sisters, that's you and me. We are the ones who are being made holy by the blood of Christ. And when he sat down at the right hand of God, he took his rightful place. And for this, he's to be honored by us. He's to be honored with our faith and with a consistent, committed faith because he sacrificed everything on our behalf. How could we possibly hold something back from Jesus after he has done this. There's a story I want to read. Some of you will be very familiar with this. But it's so good that I want to read it again. And I've read it before. It comes from Max Lucado's book, Six Hours, One Friday. No one has more reason to be grateful than does the one who has been reminded of God's gift by one of God's angels. I was, Lucato says. And so was Francis Gajanacek, I think is the way you pronounce this. His story is moving. It's difficult to find beauty in death. It's even more difficult to find beauty in a death camp, especially Auschwitz. Four million Jews died there in World War II. A half ton of human hair is still preserved. The showers that sprayed poison gas still stand. But for all the ugly memories of Auschwitz, there is one of beauty, and it's the memory of Gajanacek and what he remembers about Maximilian Kolb. In February 1941, Kolb was incarcerated at Auschwitz. He was a Franciscan priest, 
and in the harshness of the slaughterhouse, he maintained the gentleness of Christ. He shared his food. He gave up his bunk. He prayed for his captors. He was soon given the nickname Saint of Auschwitz. In July of that same year, there was an escape from the prison. It was the custom at Auschwitz to kill ten prisoners for every one who escaped. All the prisoners would be gathered in the courtyard and the commandant would randomly select ten names from the roll book. These victims would be immediately taken to a cell where they would receive no food or water until they died. The commandant begins calling the names. At each selection, another prisoner steps forward to fill the sinister quota. The tenth name he calls is Gajanacek. As the SS officers check the numbers of the condemned, one of the condemned begins to sob. My wife and my children, he weeps. The officers turn as they hear movement among the prisoners. The guards raise their rifles, the dogs tense, anticipating a command to attack. A prisoner has left his row and is pushing his way to the front. It's Kolb. No fear on his face. No hesitancy in his step. The capo shouts at him to stop or be shot. I want to talk to the commander, he says calmly. For some reason, the officer doesn't club him or kill him. Kolb stops a few paces from the commandant, removes his hat, and looks the German officer in the eye. Herr Commandant, I wish to make a request, please. That no one shot him is a miracle. I want to die in the place of this prisoner. He points at the sobbing Kajanacek. The audacious request is presented without stammer. I have no wife and children. Besides, I'm old and not good for anything. He's in better condition, Kolb knew well, that, Kolb knew well the Nazi mentality. Who are you, the officer asks. I'm a Catholic priest. The block is stunned. The commandant uncharacteristically speechless. After a moment, he barks, request granted. Prisoners were never allowed to speak. Gajanacek says, I could only thank him with my eyes. I was stunned and could hardly grasp what was going on. The immensity of it. I, the condemned, am to live, and someone else willingly and voluntarily offers his life for me, a stranger. Is this a dream? The saint of Auschwitz outlived the other nine. In fact, he didn't die of thirst or starvation. He died only after the camp doctor injected phenol... phenol uh, I can't remember what... This, it seems like... In, I, I've read this before. There's a, a chemical that goes along with the phenol. But anyway, he, he injects phenol into his heart and it, and it does kill him on August 14, 1941. Gajanacek survived the Holocaust. He made his way back to his hometown. Every year, however, he goes back to Auschwitz. Every August 14th, he goes back to say thank you to the man who died in his place. And in his backyard, there's a plaque. A plaque he carved with his own hands. A tribute to Maximilian Kolb, the man who died, so that he could live. There are times that it takes an angel to remind us about what we have. Maybe it's a song. Maybe it's a sacred head. 
Maybe it's something else in your life. But something needs to remind us about what it is that we've received in Jesus Christ. Some of us need exclusively to honor Christ today by accepting his sacrifice and giving ourselves in gratitude to him. Some of us need to stop our judgment of others or our legalistic approach to faith because only the sacrifice of Christ saves. Some of us need to forgive others because from the vantage point of this pulpit, I don't see anybody perfect among us except as we've been forgiven. Some of us, as hard as it may be, need to refuse to hold on to our guilt. Approaching his throne with humble confidence and gratefulness. Because Jesus died to set us free from our guilt and shame. And some of us need to get up off of our apathies. And in gratitude, allow the sacrifice of Jesus to impact us anew. Like it did the first time. One of the beautiful things about the cross is that it speaks loudly to the guilty. Loudly to those who've been wronged by others. Loudly to those who've been lazy, distracted away from viewing Jesus on the cross. The message of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, the gospel, is never neutral. We can neutralize it if we want. But it's not neutral. God will not force you to accept it. Instead, he will simply compel you through the simple message of sacrifice to take it seriously like you've never taken it before or maybe like you did when you gave your heart to him the first time. And I want to implore you again today to give yourself completely to him again. Some of you are here today because you made a New Year's resolution to come back to church. Some of you are here because someone else wanted you to come. Some of you are here because it's your habit. Some of you are here because you want to make yourself feel good about yourself. Some of you are here because there are people here you enjoy being around. But the reason that you need to be here today is because he died for you. He made a sacrifice for you. Your sins Oh, praise Jesus, your sins are forgiven. And you stand holy and blessed and forgiven before him. And I literally don't care what you've done. I don't care who you've done it with or done it to. I don't care how many times you've done it. The beauty of the sacrifice of Jesus is that neither does he. Verse 17 of our text says, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. He doesn't remember. God doesn't remember. Well, I I know a bit about that. I've just lived with a woman for the last five months who couldn't remember anything. She couldn't remember when she came to our house. She couldn't remember how long she'd been there. She didn't know when she was, uh, she didn't know that she was in Calgary. 
She asks all the time, where am I? She asks all the time, where is my home? Where do I live? She wanted to know why she couldn't go home. Didn't know where it was, but she wanted to know why she couldn't go home. She could have a conversation with us about something very meaningful. Her finances, her husband passing away, her own condition. And five minutes later, she could remember none of it. She wasn't just suppressing memories because she didn't want to think about them or something. These memories were completely gone. And that's what the text says. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Self-willed amnesia on the part of God. He can't remember your sins. And when he looks at us, he sees his beloved children, not our misbehavior. Because he cannot remember the sins of repentant, faithful people. And so I would say, go live like faithful, repentant people. Because that's who you are before the one who made the sacrifice that he did for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you. We all need you so badly. And we praise you today that you have given yourself as a sacrifice for us. Help us never to take that lightly. Help us to love you exclusively with all of our hearts in return. Sir Jesus, we pray. Amen.